Hey guys, this is Drake. Thanks so much for tuning in to our City Church podcast here. It's an honor to have you. Hey, at the end of this episode, we'd love for you to take a moment, subscribe to this podcast channel if you haven't already. Also subscribe to our YouTube channel so we can continue to serve you with content that we're putting out on a weekly basis. And in addition, if we can serve you in any way or connect with you in community in any way, you can visit our website at citychurchboulder.com and we would love to connect with you there. And lastly, and most importantly, I hope this content is helpful to you. It's encouraging, it's inspiring, and you leave better than you showed up. Enjoy. All right. Good morning. How you guys doing? Merry Christmas. I'm so glad to see you here. Thanks for joining us. My name is Drake. I'm the pastor here. It's an honor to have you gathering with us in person and online today. Christmas is almost here, guys. Are you feeling that weird space of like, it's next week and also it feels really far away? Do you feel that? It's kind of sneaking up on us. I'm pretty pumped about it. Hey, so Today, we are wrapping up our series. Well, kind of wrapping up. We are doing the last of our Sunday morning messages on this Advent series. Uh, if, you're, if you're unfamiliar with the season, the word Advent means arrival. So just talking about the anticipation around the arrival of Jesus, what that means for you and I. Um, and then next week is Christmas Eve. So Jess, did, did you do a great job today? Give it together for Jess. So good. Um, also, she was talking about city groups. Jess and Ed are starting a brand new city group in January. Let's go. Put your hands together. Um, hey, so really excited to wrap it up, and then we'll be ending the Advent celebration with our Christmas Eve service at 5 p.m., so can't wait to, to gather with you both in person and online for that. Um, really quick, I have a couple of quick announcements for you before we get into the message today. Uh, listen, if you're a first-time guest with us, so glad you're here. No matter where you're walking in on your spiritual journey, you are loved, safe, and welcome here at City Church. Our mission here is to help people find their way to God from where they are. And that means no matter where you're walking in, we simply want to meet you where you are, help you take some next steps toward Jesus. And so really, really grateful that you're here. We do that. We carry out our mission here at City Church by, by um, practicing the way of Jesus together in Boulder. We do that on weekends and through our city groups. And really, really grateful for all that God is doing. Now, I have some cool stuff to let you know about. Number one um, is our City Church Christmas offering. Woo! Hey, so it's, it's awesome. It's okay. Uh, so it's so cool. Uh, since City Church started uh, four years ago, since day one, since it was just my wife and I giving to City Church, 10% of every dollar that has ever come into City Church goes right back out to our church planting partners and to missionaries around the world, things like that. So anything that you see us do in the city, any kind of generosity initiatives or serve events, those are all from the rest of our budget. So 10% goes back out to church planting and missions around the world. Now, the City Church Christmas offering is aimed at both the West and the world. And I just want to let you know, the invitation has been for the last couple of weeks. This offering is open through the end of the year. Our goal is to raise $10,000 between now and the end of the year. And it's going to things like we have some team members we just sent out. The Fitzpatricks have been incredible team members here at City Church for the last few years. We sent them to the East Coast. They work with Crew, which is a missions organization. They're going to be working with refugees and training leaders. And so this offering goes to supporting people like them, who you love, which is awesome, yeah? Okay, and it also goes to our church planters in the Philippines. It goes into our orphanage in the Philippines. It goes to um, our, our partners in Central Asia and North Asia and South Asia. It goes to, well, it goes to a lot of places that I, and some places I'm not even allowed to tell you online because it's secret, but awesome. It's so cool. So it's amazing. Uh, we have uh, a church plant in Chicago. We have a couple of church planting partners in uh, uh, the Denver Metro. We now have some church planting partners in Broomfield. Bryson and Sarah right here. 
in the middle. If you haven't met them, by the way, you need to, um, as they're starting a church planting team and getting ready to launch a life-giving church in Broomfield, we're great, grateful to partner with them. And they've been joining us, getting some free childcare time in and, and enjoying the service. But hey, I want you to know their faces. It's so cool to have them here, their faces, their stories, their names, so we can pray with them and partner with them. Also, that first Sunday in January, Bryson's going to be here speaking. Let's go. It's going to be awesome, so don't miss it. Um, so listen, this offering goes to all of those things and more. All of it. Everything that's given towards the City Church Christmas offering goes to those things. So the invitation is for you to uh, reflect on God's impact in your life through this community. Let that fill you with gratitude and joy. To pray and ask God, God, what do you want me to do in light of the City Church Christmas offering? Do you want me to be a part of this? And if so, how and how much? Whatever that looks like. And then lastly, to invest. To actually give toward this offering, whether it's through the envelopes or online. All of that's great. If you do it online, you just hit that drop down that says the City Church Christmas offering. So, hey, just inviting you into that again. You don't just give to a church. You give through a church. By the way, can I just celebrate for a minute? This week alone, and it's so cool. So cool that we get to do this. This week alone, we helped three single moms with uh, some bills that were overdue and some, some uh, extra cash for their kids for, and, uh, to help them buy Christmas presents for their kids. How cool is that? That was just this week. That's because of you. So you don't just give to a church, you give through a church, and we try to do that often and consistently and prayerfully. And so thank you for being a part of a radically generous church. Number two. The second thing is we are entering our last week of this Advent fast. If you're new to the room, this is your first time hearing about it, or you've been meaning to get around to it, but you haven't yet. It's not too late. And again, we fast. We give up things that we love to pursue what we love even more. So the idea is that we give up food or we give up uh, um, something that, you know, means a lot to you that kind of creates a hunger in you. Maybe it's, you know, all your Christmas movies and you're like, oh, okay, I won't Netflix binge anymore. Or, um, oh, I got locked out of my Netflix account because I'm borrowing it from somebody, and they caught me on my TV, and so I don't have it anymore anyway, right? Like, anybody else? That's just me? It happened to me last night. I'm not kidding. All right, anyway, so the, the fast. It, uh, uh, John Piper says that fasting is whole body hungering after God. The idea is, whether it's from food or social media or, or whatever you're doing, um, that you're giving up things that you love, and it creates a hunger inside of you, and then you turn that hunger, you turn that attention, you turn that affection toward God. It's an invitation. And so, uh, this practice is posted on our social media platforms. You can go check out the details there. Um, but you can jump in for the last seven days of this, this fast with us this week. Uh, my rhythm has been fasting on Wednesdays and Fridays from, uh, from food, from sunup to sundown. And it's been honestly incredible. I actually woke up. I'll show you in my journal. I woke up on Friday morning. It was pre-team party. I knew Chick-fil-A was coming that evening. And I wrote in my journal, God, I am excited to fast today. I think it's the first time that's ever happened to me, okay? Uh, and so this week, uh, that's happening as well as I think I'm going to fast from alcohol throughout the week as well. Um, and so that's just my jam, whatever it is for you. I got pe some people on our team are doing social media. They're doing all kinds of scrolling or whatever. So just an invitation to jump on if you haven't already. And what we have found is this kind of practice, and again, with the practice are things that we do to get it into our lives. This kind of practice is most helpful connected to community. Meaning solo, you can do it on your own, and that's great. But, but if you just tell even one person, hey, here's what I like to do for the next seven days, I want you to know about it. It creates a, an accountability that allows you to press in in a way that trying to do it solo and keep it together, you lose motivation, you lose attention. You're like, why am I even doing this? So again, just, just don't forget the key uh, role that, that community plays in practices like this. You guys cool with that? <laughs> great. <laughs> 
cool, man. All right, let's go. Here we are. We are in um, this Christmas season. It's Advent. We've been pressing in. Last week, the message was entitled, How's the Water? And so I'll catch you up on that in a minute. But today, we're picking up where we left off. It's kind of like two sides of the same coin, so I'm really excited about today. And I kind of told you last week, as we were getting into this conversation, this has been more for me than it is for you. And my prayer is that God simply uses what he's doing in my life to help you. And so this has been a, a, a crazy journey from, from September while I was in India until now. So I'm just kind of sharing what God's doing and hopefully it's encouraging to you and it brings you into the, some of that as well. But let's go to Luke 2. Our band read it earlier this morning. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Christmas, this good news arrival. So maybe, listen, I don't know where you're walking in on your spiritual journey. Maybe you're in a place where a longing is developing inside of you this Advent season. Like there's actually a hunger for more of God being cultivated throughout this season. And maybe there's something inside of you today that would say, I want, like like there's a longing inside of me. I want to see and hear and know God more deeply. Maybe that's you today. Maybe not. Maybe you're in the room and you're like, I wish that was true about me. I wish there was a longing inside of me, but to be honest, there simply is not one. It's just not there. I'm busy. I'm distracted. I've got a lot going on. I'd love to say that was true about me, but it's not. No matter where you find yourself on your spiritual journey today, whichever side of the longing equation you find yourself on, there is a question that we can ask in light of that. There's a question that maybe we must ask in response, and it's the question, what should we do? You want to know more of God? You want to see more of God? You want to be with Jesus, become like Jesus, do what he did? What should we do if we have that longing? You, you don't have that longing, you want more of it. What should we do to see our heart posture change? So fast forward to the story we looked at last week, and the cousin of Jesus, John, is sent ahead of him to shine a spotlight on this coming Messiah here, this Savior who is Christ the Lord. And he's coming, and and, and he presents us with the question, how do we prepare our hearts? How do we prepare our lives to receive and respond to this good news? How do we cultivate longing if it's not there? How do we pay attention and not miss this good news if we're not really into it? And how do we cultivate if there's something in us that wants it and we just don't know how to get our hands on it. Here's John's response. If if that's where you are, here's what he says. Luke 3, this is from the message translation. I gave it to you last week, but I love Eugene Peterson's translation here. Crowds of people are coming out for baptism. John's calling people to to, to repentance. And it was the popular thing, because it was the popular thing to do. And so then John explodes. And you gotta remember, this is a different culture and context, so don't freak out, okay? He says, you brood of snakes? Merry Christmas. What do, you, what do you think you're doing slithering down here to the river? I love this language. It's so good. Do you think a little water on your snake skin is going to deflect God's judgment? It's your life that must change, not your skin. He goes on. He says, and, and don't think that you can pull rank by claiming Abraham as father. Again, there was this idea of being a Jew kind of puts you just in good standing with God regardless of your life and your heart and your behavior. He says, being a child of Abraham is neither here nor there. Children of Abraham are a dime a dozen. God can make children from stones if he wants to. What counts is your life. Is it green and blossoming? Because if it's dead wood, it goes on the fire. And he goes on. 
The crowd asked him, then what should we do? There's the question. What should we do to prepare our hearts for this Christmas story? What should we do to step into the life that is truly life? And here's John's response. If you have two coats, give one away. Do the same with your food. John's response to heart preparation in light of the Christmas story is directed at our closets and our refrigerators. <laughs> what is up with that? That's not at all what I was expecting. Tax men also came to be baptized and, said, and they said the same question, the same question that we are, are already asking or maybe we should be asking. What should we do? And he said, no more extortion. Collect only what is required by law. Then he goes on. Soldiers asked him, what should we do? And he told them, no shakedowns, no blackmail. Be content with your rations. The interest of the people by now was building. Some of you are like, this guy is hardcore and I'm out, right? But you have to understand, John's a prophet, and so this language is sitting different with this crowd, right? They're not offended. They're not walking away. What is their response? After his heavy words, his hard words to them, they're like, what should we do? They're actually leaning in in response to his strong language. So, so try to put yourself in this context. They were all beginning to wonder, could, could this John be the Messiah? Now watch what he says. John intervened, I'm baptizing you here in the river. But the main character in this drama, to whom I'm a mere stagehand, he will ignite the kingdom life a fire the Holy Spirit within you, changing you from the inside out. Isn't that good? Yeah. All right, let's go home. All right, that's great. So, so how do you prepare for the way of Jesus? How do, we, how do we cultivate a longing in our hearts in this season? John's answer is simplify your lives and share your money and stuff. Is that not weird to you? Because it's really weird to me. This is the Christmas message I didn't know that I needed. So let me go back to last week. Here's the definition I gave you to simplicity, and these are two sides of the same coin. You can go catch everything on our YouTube channel and our podcast. Simplicity is the practice of limiting the number of our possessions, activities, experiences, and social obligations to a level where we are free to live joyfully in the kingdom of God with Jesus. Someone just stopped me in the lobby and said, hey, I'm reading that book, Ruthless Elimination of Hurry, and it's awesome and it's terrible at the same time. And it's life-giving and, and, and it's really pointing to this reality. Last week I told a story. I'll tell it to you again so you can catch up. Two fish are swimming along, two young fish swimming along, and they pass an older fish going the other way, and he says, good morning, boys. How's the water? And they nod and continue to swim along, and after they get out of earshot of the uh, older fish, one of the younger fish leans over to his buddy and says, what is water? And last week we talked about how sometimes in life the most difficult things to talk about and the most difficult realities, realities to see are right in front of us. That's where we are today. Now, John is saying, you want to prepare your heart to encounter God's love and power working in and through you? then go to your closets and your refrigerators. Simplicity and generosity. So here's today, the other side of the coin, we're talking about generosity. Generosity is a practice in which we move our hearts. And don't miss the idea of practice here, okay? It's a practice, something we do with a plan to move our hearts away from fear and greed and discontent and injustice 
and toward a life of love and freedom and joy and gratitude and a deep trust, which this is foundational, a deep trust in God as our Father. This is generosity. This is the practice of generosity. So so let me back up for a second. The early church, right after Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection, kind of post-Christmas story on the Easter side of things, is exploding with life. And one of the markers of the early church, one of the loudest, in fact, one historian called it an obnoxious trait of the early church, was their generosity. They are so generous, it's obnoxious how much they help, how much they care within, within, <laughs> well, widow, orphan, that's a combo there, I'm bringing them together, widow, orphan, and the like. I mean, it's amazing. The early church started as a radically generous movement in, in response to the radical generosity of God's love for us, that God so loved the world that he gave, that for God and for the way of Jesus, we see consistently that one of the demonstrations of love is in giving that God so loved the world, that he so loved you, that he gave his only son. And so then the early church begins to model that generosity, not just with their lives, but with their wallets and their refrigerators and their closets. Now here's what you know, here's what I know, here's what the world around us knows today. Around the 15th century, the church gets its greedy hands on this incredible practice of generosity and corrupts it from the inside out. And all of a sudden, uh, church leaders are selling indulgences and making you pay in order to have God's favor. And it leaves a stain on the church and on the Christian tradition and on the name of Jesus. Jesus that has been deeply set ever since. So you have this incredibly challenging dynamic of corruption in the church that a bajillion people are familiar with. And on top of that, you and I live in the West, where money and wealth are these really weird things to talk about. And and we have this kind of we have this secrecy. We have this, like, money is in respect. You don't talk about it. I mean, you can talk about other people's money and stuff, right? You can judge them, and you can, you, you, absolutely. But we don't talk about my money and my stuff and my spending habits. We just have this secrecy around money and stuff. We don't talk about what people make, and it's kind of a weird thing. And so you have this combo of you and I living into a reality of, of just a historical reality of financial corruption in the church, That makes people kind of weary of organized religion in general and definitely conversations around money. And then an overall privacy in the Western culture around money and stuff. You know what that leads to? It leads to a room full of people saying, I am really upset I showed up at church today. (laughs) Dang it. I don't want to talk about money and stuff. Now, so listen, typically, typically once a year, City Church, we try to structure our year to talk about generosity and simplicity and all of these things through like one, one time a year in a series. And, uh, and so this was planned last year, before, like way, like a year ago to date, this series was planned and it wasn't connected to our city church offering or anything like that. This is just on the docket. And maybe for you, you're like, yeah, that's plenty, maybe even too much. Like, I'm glad you plan it, but maybe not. But here's, here's the crazy thing to me, and here's what I want to share with you today. And listen, if you're not a follower of Jesus, just check it out from the outside looking in. Listen in, I promise it's going to be helpful. But Jesus talked about money more than anything else except for the kingdom of God. Listen to this. Jesus talked about money three times more than he talked about love. Jesus talked about money seven times more than he talked about prayer. And we dedicated nine weeks to a series on prayer. 
Jesus talked about money more than heaven and hell and eternity. Jesus, out of his parables, 17 of his 39 parables, these stories to communicate truth about God's kingdom and reality, almost half are about money. Scholars estimate that roughly 25% of Jesus' teachings are around money and stuff. What that would look like here, that would mean that one out of every four Sundays, if we want to be like Jesus, which we're about that, right? Be with Jesus, become like Jesus, do what he did. Well, if we drove it down, that means one out of every four Sundays, we're talking about money and stuff around here. And that would be crazy, right? I'm pretty sure this room will be packed every week. It will be, it's, it's funny. All right, all right. So listen, listen, you've got to ask why, right? Like, why would Jesus talk about money and stuff more than anything else outside of the, the category of the kingdom of God, right? Why, why is he, I mean, he's not raising money for his local synagogue. Jesus wasn't, you know, trying to hire a new associate rabbi. Like, what, what's the agenda? Why is Jesus raising money? Here's, here's my thoughts. It might just be that he is massively interested in the human heart and freedom, and life. And it might just be that money is way more about other things than just money. Maybe there's much more to it than that. So here's, here's the deal, listen. If Jesus' priorities are our priorities as Jesus' followers, then I'm gonna invite you to evaluate and surrender with me the privacy that we feel around material possessions and wealth and things like that in the West. I'm just going to invite you to evaluate and surrender those so that we don't miss what Jesus has for us. And it's an invitation. But listen, if this is your first time at City Church, I'm going to ask you for some grace, okay? Because, and you don't owe it to me, but I'm going to ask for it anyway. Because when a Christian pastor stands on a stage with a Britney Spears microphone and starts to talk about money, it comes with all kinds of baggage for a lot of people. And so I don't know your background. I don't know your spiritual journey. Here's what I can guarantee you. Jesus is way more concerned with our hearts than our wallets. But I think what we're going to find is that they are incredibly tied together. And so I just want you to know, I understand the complexity and I even feel it alongside of you. But if we're going to be with Jesus and become like Jesus and do what he did, we, we have to allow his priorities to become ours. So if you're following Jesus in the room, then I'm going to ask, I'm going to invite you just with me to ask these consistent questions. Who, who is really Lord over my consumption and my money and my possessions? Well, who's calling the shots? And I'll, I'll let you know up front, most of the time it's me for my life. So you, you, can, you can be as honest as you want. But here's the deal. I think this is way too connected to our hearts to treat lightly, but that is the default position of the Western church. So here's the big idea today. I'll give it to you up front. Our spiritual lives are directly connected to how we manage our money and possessions. Our spiritual lives are directly connected to how we manage our money and possessions. Now, let me set up the big idea for a moment before we get into Jesus and his text on this teaching. But we have this incredible ability to compartmentalize our lives in the West, do we not? 
Like we can just say, you know, we have work, and we have home, we have third spaces, we have hobbies, we have church, we have all these things that we compartmentalize. But here's the interesting thing. When we say our spiritual lives, you might have a category. Your brain immediately goes to a few arenas and boxes in your life. But if you were to go to a first century Jew or you go to Jesus at the time and say, hey, tell me about your spiritual life, the response would be, my what? You mean my life? Just my, my life? Like, what do, you, what do you mean by that? Because for Jesus and his first century audience, there is no such thing as a spiritual life. If you ask the question, hey, what does God care about? Oh, just like every last facet of my entire being. Like, that's it, right? Just how I treat my coworkers and how I tip my server and the tone of email I send to my coworkers and, and how, how I rest on the weekends and how I react when I don't get my way. Oh, and like prayer in church and Bible reading and stuff like that too. All of it, all of life is spiritual. You guys tracking with me? So when we have this conversation, we're not just talking about how an hour and a half goes on a Sunday morning for you. It's so easy to compartmentalize, but I'm gonna invite you to take a step back because one of the, one of the temptations that we have, especially if you're evaluating where you land with Jesus, is, is we come to Jesus and we're like, all right, Jesus, you can have my Sundays and you can have uh, um, some prayer and you can have my attitude toward my life, but when it comes to the standard of living that I've decided to set for myself and pursue without asking you, you can't touch that. That's compartmentalization. I heard it said uh, earlier uh, this week that in the West, the American dream has been an effort inside the church to prove Jesus wrong on his teachings around money and stuff. I was like, dang, that's, that's really insightful. <laughs> so let's look at John's response. We were just there. What does John say? He says, produce fruit to, to the crowds coming to him. He says, hey, if you want to produce fruit in your life, you want to be blossoming, if you will, if you want to have a green life, one that is in line and, and coming alive from the inside out, he says, produce that fruit by keeping with repentance. And that word repentance, I don't know if you heard it before. Let me just give it to you real fast. It literally means to change the way that you think and to go the other way. So it's like I'm walking this way and to repent would mean that I have an, a realization, an awareness of some information that causes me to turn and then to act on that information and go in that direction. Does that make sense? It's very holistic. It's not just mental, but it definitely in, involves that. It's new information that comes to me that changes my awareness of something. And then with that attention directed, I order my steps in conjunction with that new reality. Are you guys tracking with me? Okay, that's what it means to repent. He says, if you want this life, then produce fruit in keeping with the practice of repentance. So what does John do? He says, here's the extravagant love and generosity of God towards you. Here's your new information. Good news of great joy. A Savior has been born. Okay? That's the presentation. Here's the Christmas story. Now, in light of that information, in light of that reality, in light of this new thing that has come to your attention, Allow it to change the way that you think and the way that you live. In light of that, live accordingly. You guys tracking with me? This is the idea of repentance up against God's generosity. And so when he goes to your closets and your refrigerators, when it comes to simplicity and generosity, he's not saying feel really bad about how you use your money and stuff and then let that motivate you to change the way that you behave. No. He says, get your mind off of yourself and off of others and look at all that God has done for you. Look how amazing this love is. Nothing compares to it. Let that overwhelm you, and then generosity becomes a natural byproduct. 
how can I not live this way in light of how God has loved me? Now, let's go to Jesus and his teachings. Just a few core teachings here. Matthew 6, okay? Just to catch you up on some of the things we're talking about. So, Jesus, uh, this is on his Sermon on the Mount, kind of a famous manifesto, if you will, of, of teachings, core teachings from Jesus. And he says, don't store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and vermin destroy and where batteries wear out and where thieves break in and steal, <laughs> but store up for yourselves treasure in heaven where moth and vermin do not destroy and batteries never wear out and where thieves do not break in and steal. That's a joke, guys. <laughs> All right, verse 21. Don't miss this. Here's, oh, go back. Sorry. Yep, <laughs> thank you. For where your treasure is, this is Jesus, there your heart will be also. This is Jesus' perception about reality. It's up to you to decide what you do with the information he's presenting. He's just saying, hey, this is true about the human condition. Where your treasure is, that's where your heart is. Or another way to say it is our spiritual lives are directly connected to how we manage our money and possessions. But he goes on, check this out. This is interesting. This is the same teaching text the eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot. This is Jesus making statements about reality. It's not a command here. It's an observation. You cannot serve both God and money. Or in the Greek, that word can be translated mammon, which is like your money, your stuff, the stuff that you have, the stuff that you want, the stuff that you don't even have yet. You cannot serve both God and money. So to the first century Jewish audience that would have heard this teaching, they would have understood immediately that this is a figure of speech from Jesus. To have a healthy eye means that you have a generous outlook on life. To have an unhealthy eye means that you have a stingy outlook on life. It's the difference of, of abundance versus scarcity. Jesus is saying there are two different ways to look at the world. Abundance or scarcity. Abundance would say from, from Jesus' perspective that I have more than enough. All of life is a gift. God is the generous host. We're living in his house, in his world, and he is the, pro pro uh, the provider. It produces, in this mentality, it produces gratitude and generosity. This is what Jesus calls a healthy eye. To have a proper worldview of an understanding of all that I have is a gift anyway, and I'm, gonna, I'm a manager, not an owner of it. I have more than enough, regardless of my perspective and what people have around me. Scarcity is the opposite. This is a worldview that only sees lack. You have to fight to get what's yours and to keep what's yours. You only see what you don't have and you always want more. This, the, the unhealthy eye is where someone is consumed with greed and there is a lack of contentment deep at the core of our being. And Jesus is saying, man, if your eye is dark, how deep is, how great is that darkness? As in, pay attention to the way that you see the world. Because if you can get your relationship to money and stuff correct, it changes everything. But if you miss it, it changes everything. 
And Jesus' observation is you cannot. Not you can try really hard and do your best to make. No, he says there's, there's a deep competition in our hearts and you can't serve both at the same time. So wealth and property, Jesus is not down on that at all, by the way. In fact, Jesus rolled with a bunch of wealthy people that funded his ministry. While he himself was not wealthy, he didn't have a house or anything like that. He had a bunch of people that funded what he did. He's not down on money and stuff. He's interested in how we manage it and relate to it. It's connected to our hearts. Jesus is saying very simply, friends, that there is a great competition for your heart today. And it probably lives in your closets, or at least it wants to. You see, our current experience in the kingdom of God is going to be directly related to how we manage our money and stuff. And so here's the question that I'm asking myself. Do I have a healthy eye or an unhealthy eye? And the answer for me, I can't answer for you, is yes. Sometimes I'm crushing it. Sometimes I am like, I'm so healthy. It's an, it's a, I'm impressed by myself. I'm like, man, this is, Wow. And other times, I am so unhealthy, it's disgusting. So I'm sitting at Starbucks earlier this week working on this message, and I'm uh, uh, looking at Compassion International's website and looking at kids to adopt, to fund, and uh, texting Danielle. And, I, and I'm, you know, I, I kid you not, guys, I'm sitting in a Starbucks just crying, just, just tears rolling down my face, the manly man that I am. And, and I am just weeping over these kids. And I'm looking at, oh, hey, what if we adopt kids that have the same birthday as our kids? And then they're like, ah, they, they get you on the website. But they're like, here's how long this kid has been waiting. And this kid's been waiting to be funded for 545 days, 543 days. And I'm like, oh, my gosh, you're so like Jesus. And I love it. And I want to be a part. And so then, and then later in the week, God tells me to do something with my money and stuff. And I literally kid you not, I write in my journal, God, I I don't want to do that. Like literally just verbatim. I'm like, just to be clear so you know where we're at, God. And I went to Danielle and I said, here's what God told me this morning and I don't want to do it. So just so everyone's clear, healthy eye, unhealthy eye. Now, that's my first question. Jesus, just to give you a little more context, in response to someone complaining, so someone comes to Jesus and they're complaining, make my brother divide the inheritance with me, right? There's just a greedy moment. Here's Jesus' response to that little question. Jesus says to them and all those that are around him, he says, watch out. Strong words of warning. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed because life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. You know that to be true. Even if, I mean, for most, I would say probably everyone in the room understands that people are more important than the stuff that we have. But there's a deep struggle in our hearts to actually live like that. Jesus says, watch out. Be on your guard, as in be active against greed. I would not consider myself a greedy person, but I am shocked how often my heart drifts from the way and the posture of Jesus. Here's, let me give you a definition of greed, okay? Because I, I think sometimes it's like, you think of Scrooge and the Christmas Carol and all that, and you're like, oh yeah, I'm not greedy. Let me just help you feel a little better about yourself today, okay? Greed is simply the idea that I can attain security by my own means, See, listen, Jesus is not down on having wise financial decisions and portfolios and savings and retirement and sending your kids to college and an emergency fund. He's not down on that at all. But there is a fine line between wisdom and greed. And here's the problem. It is different for every person in this room. You can't do what I do because you don't have my heart. 
You and I have different struggles on this line. So there's a fine line between wisdom and generosity and greed. Greed is the pursuit of contentment, safety, security, comfort, meaning, status, pleasure, rest, peace, any of those things through material means all within my control. You guys tracking with me? Let me give it to you again because this helps me begin to think about where is my heart. Greed is the pursuit of contentment, safety, security, comfort, meaning, status, pleasure, rest, peace, or any number of those things through material means all within my control. And as I, as I read that definition, there's probably a word or two that stands out to you. And that's why you and I are in different places. The, the greed, there's this fine line. And Jesus is saying there is indeed, friends, competition for your heart. The things that you possess can be used for great good, or if you're not careful, they can begin to possess you. Greed is invisible. How's the water? What is water? You see, if, if you and I, as, as followers of Jesus, okay, if you're not a follower of Jesus, you're probably like, what though? What are we talking about? Hang on, we'll get there. If you and I, as followers of Jesus, think that we can follow Jesus and our money and our stuff is not a threat to the life that Jesus said is the good life, we are fooling ourselves. We're totally ignoring. Again, like, like I said earlier, that the American dream has been this amazing experiment inside the church even to prove Jesus wrong about our relationship to money and stuff. Here's the good news. Jesus offers an incredible path to life. Swiss uh, reformer Johann Pestalozzi says that you and I learn and change in three ways. So we're almost done. But let me give you these, these really important pieces to, to kind of recognize what we do with a conversation like this. If we're not careful, you can like glamorize generosity. You, you, can, you can demonize it to where it's like, you know, guilt and shame are, are the motive and they don't actually serve you well. There's a, there's, that, that's not the invitation. The idea is an appropriate healthy understanding of relationship to God and money and stuff that allows us to live freely, openly, and honestly with our lives. So Johann Pestalozzi says that you and I change at three levels, our head, our heart, and our hands. Let me just give them to you really briefly. Our head is where you and I get a compelling vision in our, in our heads of the good life. We hear some, like Jesus' teachings, and we read the ruthless elimination of a hurry, or we, we, we get these different things of information, and it inspires us. It kind of cultivates something inside of you, like, I, I, that sounds pretty good. Like, what I have and that, like, it kind of leads our, our whole beings toward, like, okay, those things are true. I feel that tension. It gives us a vision of what could be. Our heart takes it a step further, and it's where it goes from from the, an idea, kind of a motivation. Like, listen, you and I can get motivated on a Sunday to be generous and then forget about it by two o'clock, right? Like, we can totally do that. And then Christmas busyness takes over and nothing changes. So how do you go from your head to your heart? It's when it goes from a good vision that you're like, yeah, I want that, to, to, to okay, I'm gonna do something about it. I'm actually, there's a desire in me to go that direction. It's an, an intentional and, I'm sorry, intentional and settled decision in my heart that I want the vision that I see over here. I'm not just inspired by it, I want it. Now here's where change really comes. We teach this all the time at City Church. It has to go from our head, has to start there, to our hearts, 
to our hands. It has to move into practice to get it into your life. If it doesn't move into practice, something we do, then we don't change. If you want to run a marathon, you need a coach and a training plan. You can't just will yourself to be a marathon runner. You're going to die. You can go out there and you're just going to die. That's what's going to happen. If you want to become a person of, of love and generosity, which is, listen, generosity is attached to being a person of love. You can't separate the two. This is not about the principle of generosity and like, check, I did that, way to go, me and God. No, no. Why are we generous? Because God is love. And we express love to others through generosity. It's, it's foundation in love. But if we want to become a person of generosity, we have to have a plan. It has to be something we do in result. Otherwise, it's just wishful thinking. You can, you can want to be that kind of person all day long. But how do you actually become a person of generosity and love? So Jesus is talking over and over again, every time he teaches, on all three levels. Head, Jesus' vision that God is a father who is beyond generous. We live under his roof, and we have more than enough to both enjoy and to share. Right? And this is not naivety. It is the opportunity to trust in God that we can live without fear and anxiety and trust in a good God. We can release literally the need for control and share what we have with our friends and even our enemies. You're like, that sounds crazy. I agree. But it's beautiful if you and I can trust God and Jesus' vision for the good life. But it goes a layer deeper to the heart. Not just how you think, but who are you becoming? Do you want to become the kind of person that is full of generosity and love? It's got to be there, right? Our hearts have to get there. Do I want this? And it moves from there to the hands. Practice. And there's a couple different ways. We'll talk about practice in a minute. But one of the things that we see in the Old Testament law that then Jesus talks about a little bit and he kind of scolds some religious leaders is the idea of the tithe, where you give 10% of your income. That was in the Old Testament law, and now we see it kind of, Jesus talks about it only one time in the New Testament, and he, he's, he's talking to these religious leaders, and he's like, you guys are tithing like every, I mean, you're taking 10% of everything you've got. You're in your little, you know, your mint garden, and you've got, you know, 10 leaves and your one leaf for Jesus and nine for me. And I mean, you're just so nitpicky about the tithe, but you're missing the whole point. You're neglecting love and justice in the process. You're neglecting to love those around you. Here's the idea. You and I can tithe or we can practice generosity and still have a hard heart. You can throw some money at stuff and still have what Jesus calls the religious leaders a nasty heart, a dirty heart that's not good for receiving or giving out of. And you know that's true, right? How interesting is that? So if, if you and I stay in this religious guilt trip space where there's like a spiritual pride connected to generosity, he says that's all it's ever gonna be. This is not obligation. This is invitation into a new heart. And listen, this is true of all spiritual practices, right? When the heart is right, the hands follow appropriately. So I don't have to spend time with God daily, read the scriptures and prayer. I, I get to. Right? How many of you guys feel that way? Right? It's, it's a joy, right? Come on. Little, 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 yeah, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Poor example. All right. um, I, I don't have to gather as the church on the weekends. I get to, yeah? Oh, yes. Okay. Woo, thank you. I don't have to give 10% of my income. I get to do that. And I get to give more than that, yeah? Yeah. I don't have to live life in community. I don't have to be, a, I don't have to be a part of a city group so that God loves me. I get to, yeah? Yeah. All right. I don't have to serve and use my, use my gifts on the weekend and help my neighbor move. I get to do those things. I don't have to live on mission and share this good news with the world around me. I get to. Every practice with the right heart posture leads to life. 
So Jesus is concerned, head, heart, hands. And it's not like work on your head for three months, then get your heart for three months, and then, no, it's all at the same time being aware of how we change. I'm going to invite Daniel to come, and we're going to wrap it up. It's so, listen, friends, it's so easy to show up, do the thing, be in religious mode, and forget why we do what we do. You can do it for a church gathering, you can do it reading the Bible, and you can do it in giving. The question that we're asking is, who am I becoming? All the practices lead to formation, to be with and become like and do what Jesus did. So listen, if you're in the room and you're hearing this and it all sounds absolutely insane, I get it. Just remember, this only makes sense if you and I trust in Jesus and his vision of the world. This idea of living generously only makes sense with what Jesus calls a healthy eye. And it's really true of all of Jesus' teachings. But if if you're not in the space where God is your father, and the most important things in life are being with Jesus and becoming like Jesus and doing what he did, then yeah, I get this sounds crazy. But on the other side of it, there are followers of Jesus in the room where our hearts are longing and lean forward to this because it's a privilege to become a person of generosity. I want that. So listen, if you're not a follower of Jesus, I hope it's loud and clear. God doesn't want your money. He wants your heart. The heart posture of this conversation of followers of Jesus giving is simply because God gave his one and only son that he would die on the cross for our sins, be buried and rise again, that whoever would believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life both now and forever. It's not obligation, it's invitation. We're not earning God's love, we're living out of response to God's love. One more time, the generosity definition. So what is generosity? It is the practice in which we move our hearts away from fear and greed and discontent and injustice and toward a life of love and freedom and joy and gratitude and a deep trust in God as our Father. So what do we do? What do we we actually do? Can I give you just a few like really practical things and I'll share where I'm at? You and I, as followers of Jesus, we can't separate repentance and generosity, right? That idea of, of new information coming and changing the way that we live. Come, there's this lie in the West that says that comfort is something that I'm entitled to. And one of the assumptions, one of the really natural assumptions in the West is that as life goes on and as I get older, in theory, my life is supposed to go up and to the right. In every way, in theory, life is supposed to go up and to the right. And there is this danger in the West. We, we can so easily assume that we should just increase our comfort with every year, and increase our standard of living without thinking about it. And the more we get, the, the more we live into that. And there is this danger of doing that without ever talking to Jesus about it. And I'm just letting you know that that danger is alive and well inside of my heart. And so w- w- one of the ways that the West can trick us into thinking about generosity is what should I do with my leftovers? Feel good during December and kind of, you know, take what I have extra and give it. That's not the posture of generosity. Jesus teaches the tithe as the first fruits, the, off the top, 
My wife and I, when, when the first of the month rolls around, we give the very first out of our account toward the church and toward missions and toward church planting and Compassion International and to our neighbors. What assumptions, here's the question, what assumptions do I live with around entitlement without talking to Jesus about it? Because I've got a lot. And the invitation is just to be honest with Jesus and ourselves. Uh, Seth is one of my close friends in the room and Daniel and a lot of times I'll I'll talk to them about money and stuff and where my heart is because there seems to be this deep-seated greed that creeps in from time to time. And I need other people to help me check my assumptions about life. So I told you last week that I felt like the Holy Spirit told me um, this is not for you to be impressed. It's just, uh, just trying to help you kind of do this together. I feel like the Holy Spirit said, hey, Drake, you're going to take an entire year, all of 2024, and you're not going to buy anything for yourself. No personal purchases for an entire year. I'm like, that sucks. But there's a couple of things, there's practices that we do in repentance. These are the things that God is te- why, why are we doing that? Because there's a good chance at the end of a year, there's a really good chance, friends, and I'll let you know. At the end of a year, I'm going to find that there's a bunch of stuff that I thought I wanted that I ended up not needing, and I maybe even forgot about. And I'll probably find that my heart and my mind, they're, they're a whole lot bigger as a result of this practice, but I'll let you know how it goes. I might be grinchy at the end of next year. We'll find out. But a couple other things. You know what? My family and I, we live by a budget. We try to know, be responsible with what we have, what God has given us, so we know where dollars are going. And it's really hard to be generous when I don't know what I'm spending my money on. We set aside, Danielle and I last year, we set aside a generosity fund. So a little bit is not much, but a little bit every month, literally on the first of the month when we send in our 10% plus to City Church and then we set aside just a little bit of money every month for a generosity fund. And it goes into a separate bank account so, so it doesn't get lost in the weeds and it's literally there. Like we know that that, that that money can't be used for anything but helping other people and it's not much, but it's a practice for our family. Uh, we just sent in our Christmas offering this week. And again, I told you this, this message was not planned around City Church Christmas offering. It's just the time of year where we were in. But we just did that. And I already told you I'm crying in Starbucks over Compassionate International kids. And this week, I'm, I'm telling God I don't want to do something he told me to do with my money and stuff. So that's where I am. How are you? Listen, uh, let me, let me, I just want to help you. If you're, if you're new to following Jesus, you've been around for a minute. Um, the principle of generosity in the New Testament, I think, is what we see most consistently. So if you've ever been around the idea of tithing, giving 10% of your income, it seems to be that's the floor, not the ceiling of generosity. Every other area of life, Jesus calls us up to more. What does love require of me? It would be kind of weird that the only area that Jesus calls us to less is in the area of generosity. Would you agree? You're kind of strange. So generosity calls us to look at the tithe as the floor, not the ceiling. So Jesus is inviting us, hey, test my vision of reality. And some of you, maybe you don't give or you don't give actively. Like, I would just encourage you to try tithing, giving 10% of your income away off the top, on the front end, as a trust in God as good and creator and provider over your life. And if that's too much, then start where you are. Start at 1% or whatever you can do. Just consider it an adjustment to your lifestyle just to see what God does in your heart. Give it like six months just to see. What happens when you reorient your life and your budget around this practice? And listen, I believe scriptures teach the church is the hope of the world, so I love giving to the church. Jesus said where your money is, it's where your heart is. I love investing here, that's great. But like if you're suspicious of me or you're like kind of squinty-eyed at City Church or just organized religion in general, and like I would just encourage you, don't miss what God is inviting you into through generosity. 
by not practicing, by not, by, by not doing this. Like, like, give somewhere else. Like, if you don't trust City Church or whatever, like, that's fine. Give to an organization that you do trust. Just don't rob yourself of life because of institutional suspicion. Can I give you that? Okay, that's just, I'm just letting you know, okay? We're not after your, your wallets. Jesus is after our hearts. And lastly, I just want to encourage you. Jesus seems to make it very clear over and over again that what, that generosity is sacrificial. The loudest praise is for this widow woman in the scriptures in Mark 12 who gives like two mites. All that she has is like two pennies. It's nothing compared to what everyone around her is giving. But Jesus praises her over anyone else because generosity is about the heart. Jesus gives the highest praise to the one who gave the smallest donation. And one of the things I've been thinking about is, is we regularly give, and it's kind of auto, autopilot for me. And so one of the things that God asked me is, hey, are you giving sacrificially or do you give unconsciously? <laughs> like, oh, most of the time it's unconscious. Quite frankly, I set it up in auto pay, so I don't have to think about it. And it just happens. Yeah, that's great. So, so I'm asking, am I, am, I, am I giving away what's costing me nothing at this point? And I just ask the Spirit. I'm just asking God, do you want me to do more? Whatever it looks like. Everyone, here's the point, everyone can be generous no matter where you find yourself. And this practice is incredible for our hearts. So here's our response today. Number one, ask the question, God, what do you want me to know about my heart and the practice of generosity? Oh, it's all right. like, I gave you more than you can like, digest and handle today, and that's okay. It's probably one thing that God is speaking to you about. I say press into that. God, what do you want me to know about my heart and the practice of generosity? Second question. God, what do you want me to do? Don't let practice get removed from it. In fact, I'd encourage you, you got someone you trust, share with them what God is doing in your heart around this. Remembering that we're preparing our hearts to see more of Jesus in and through us. Number three. Finish to join the Advent fast. Let that, let that serve you in practice, kind of creating an awareness of God throughout your week in whatever way is helpful to you if you haven't already. Number four, the Christmas offering. Reflect, pray, invest like we talked about earlier. Consider that and ask God how he'd have you be a part of it. And lastly, invite others to join you for Christmas Eve at City Church. All right, we have the privilege of not only receiving this good news, but sharing it with the world. And so I'd start today, listen, we're going to sing two songs. You have the chance to respond in a couple of different ways. But I'd encourage you, as we sing, ask those questions. God, what do you want me to know about my heart and this practice? And what do you want me to do? Write it down, share it with somebody, send it in a text message, whatever you need to do. I have found that if we don't write things down on your phone, on a hard journal, whatever, if we don't do something, the practice is unlikely to actually move into our lives. If we want to become people of generosity, it has to go head, heart, and hands. So listen to the Spirit, and let's respond to His promptings today. Let me pray for you. God, thank you so much for the time that we've had today. Thank you for your great love for us, that the Christmas story is a celebration of generosity. We didn't earn it, maintain it, deserve it. You, you out of your great love for us individually, for the world as a whole, you sent your only Son to do for us what we could not do for ourselves, to die in our place for our sins, the death that we deserve to raise again like we cannot do for ourselves and to give us new life. And that new life, God, would you help us to trust you? It's not just forever. It's not a holding place when we die. It's life today. It's life on Tuesday. It's life stressful, busy times during the holidays. It's life 
during hard times at work. It's life while we're parenting. It's life while we're lonely and single. It's life while we're trying to navigate careers. It's life in every facet of our lives, public and private. And Jesus, you know our hearts probably even better than we do. And so would you help us, every single one of us? What do you want us to know about our hearts in relation to generosity? Jesus, what do you want us to do? What's going to bring life? And would you give us a longing, not to feel like we have to do any of this, but would there be something inside of us that says, man, I want that. I want that life. I want that freedom. And I want to become the kind of person that looks more like Jesus. God, right now I pray for my friends in the room who are not followers of you. That while some of this might sound crazy to them, would... Would it be just a footnote in the reality that your love is just that crazy? It's that big. It's that amazing. And would they hear the invitation clearly from you today? That you loved and you gave for them so that they can have true life. And it's a gift that they receive, not one that they earn, not one that they perform for, but they respond to. They trust in you and your goodness to save us and set us free. And so my friends in the room who are not followers of Jesus today, maybe their hearts are leaning for the first time to say, I want that. Jesus, I want to follow you. Forgive me of my sin. Make me new so I can step into new life. And will they have confidence today? If they pray that prayer in their hearts and minds, heaven rejoices over that decision. Things change forever, and we want to come alongside them and rejoice. So Jesus, we give you the rest of our time in response. Would you lead it according to your will? Amen.